there is an ancient Greek parable known as the Sorites Paradox, which talks about the effect one small action can have when repeated enough times. One formulation of the paradox goes as follows. Can one coin make a person rich? If you give a person a pile of 10 coins, you wouldn't claim that he or she is rich. But what if you add another and another and another? At some point, you will have to admit that the no one can be rich unless one coin can make him or her so. We can say the same about atomic habits. Can one tiny change transform your life? It's unlikely you would say so. But what if you made another and another and another? At some point, you will have to admit that your life was transformed by one small change. Welcome back to Zoo Notable. Last week we started on a powerful book called Atomic Habits. I shared that my first reading of this book, I was insanely jealous. What James Clear talks about in his book on adopting new healthy habits is exactly what animal trainers do every day with their critters. Exactly what I've been trying to do with ZooFit. Show people how to effectively change their behavior to take better care of themselves. Except I tend to use lots of animal training and behavior science terminology. Now, for example, in Atomic Habits, James Clear refers to the process of behavior change, the four laws, as he calls them, cue, craving, response, and reward. It's pretty self-explanatory. Behavior scientists, though, call it the ABCs, antecedent behavior consequence. You know, I'm beginning to see why people are more drawn to James Clear. That's written in more layman's terms. You know, people can resonate with this down-to-earth explanation. But what he talks about is indeed the exact same thing as animal training. And these methods can be incredibly effective for starting a fitness or a wellness program. So last week, I shared some powerful aha ideas I discovered upon my second reading of Atomic Habits. This week, I'm going to share the science behind Atomic Habits, how animal trainers and behavior experts use these principles to change behavior in patients and animals, and then also how we can apply these principles to our own lives. So let's jump in with big idea number one, habits and animal training take consistent patience. Quote, habits compounding over time can be a difficult concept to appreciate in daily life. We often dismiss small changes because they don't seem to matter very much in the moment. If you save a little money now, you're still not a millionaire. If you go to the gym three days in a row, you might still be out of shape. If you study Mandarin for an hour tonight, you still haven't learned the language. We make a few changes, but the results never seem to come quickly and so we slide back into our previous routines. Now, when I was a zookeeper, one of the most popular questions that I was asked all the time was, what does it take to be an animal trainer? Now, I love this question. I loved answering this question, even if that meant answering it three, four, or five times in a row. I would look at my inquirer and I would tell them, there are three things that you need to be an animal trainer. The first thing is 
patience. Animals can't talk to us, and so we don't always know what's going on with them. We have to be patient to get to know the animals as best as we can to understand them a little bit better. The second thing that we're going to need is patience. Animals don't always do what we want them to do, and sometimes they do what we don't want them to do. It takes patience to stay positive, never get upset, and work through some of these issues. At this point, I always ask my future trainers, what do you think the third thing is? Of course, they'd exclaim, patience, and that's exactly right. But actually, this answer is more than just patience, patience, patience. It's the consistency of patience. I'm being as literal as possible. What I've come to realize over the years is that this answer also applies to a similar question. What does it take to develop healthy habits? We often think that this predicament happened overnight, but that is rarely the case. Just as it takes repeating healthy behaviors, patience, and consistency to form healthy habits, the same can be said for unhealthy habits. So remember, Rome wasn't built in a day. Your habits won't change overnight either. And this is why it's important to focus on the path we're on rather than the goals. The goals are not unimportant. They are actually a great a source for setting you in the right direction. But it's the process, the systems that we spoke about last week in part one that work best for progress. And I like how James Clear drives this point home. He tells us that Jacob Reese, a social reformer, once said, when nothing seems to help, I go and look at a stonecutter hammering away at his rock, perhaps a hundred times without as much of a crack showing in it. Yet, the hundred and first blow, it will split in two. And I know that it was not the last blow that did it, but all that had gone before. Our habits take us to new heights, but we must be patient and keep up with it, even when the going feels super slow. And big idea number two is keeping score of your habits. Quote, if you ever find yourself riding a train in Tokyo, you'll notice that the conductors have a peculiar habit. As each operator runs the train, they proceed through a ritual of pointing at different objects and calling out commands. Every detail is identified, pointed at, and named aloud. This process known as pointing and calling is a safety system designed to reduce mistakes. It seems silly, but it works incredibly well. Pointing and calling reduces errors up by up to 85% and cuts accidents by 30%. Pointing and calling is so effective because it raises the level of awareness from a non-conscious habit to a more conscious level. One of our greatest challenges in changing habits is maintaining awareness of what we are actually doing. This helps explain why the consequences of bad habits can sneak up on us. We need a point and call system for our personal lives. That's the origin of the habit scorecard, which is a simple exercise that you can do you can use to become more aware of your behavior. To create your own, make a list of your daily activities, routines, and habits. Now, as we learned last week in Atomic Habits Part 1, the best way to change behavior for the, for the better and maintain a healthy habit is to simply track it. But the very first step in behavior change is becoming aware of your habits, and I mean all of them. This is part of the first law of behavior change. Make your habits obvious. 
A habit scorecard, you might want to call it an inventory, will give you a very good idea of what you are doing that is working, what needs work, and what isn't serving you any longer. Then we create a scorecard to track and make sure that we do the habits that we say we want to perform every time. Now, why is this important? I mean, are we eight years old and we need a chore chart? Well, yeah, I mean, you're not eight years old and I'm not suggesting you treat yourself like an eight year old, but many high end professionals use these types of checklists, even with the most mundane tasks. It's not just the point and call system on railways. Pilots use these for flights. Doctors use them for surgeries. And James Clear explains a little bit further. He says, the more automatic a behavior becomes, the less likely we are to consciously think about it. And when we've done something a thousand times before, we begin to overlook things. We assume that the next time will be just like the last. We're so used to doing what we've always done that we don't stop to ask question whether it's the right thing to do at all. Many of our failures in performance are largely attributed to lack of self-awareness. Now, this is important for animal training, too. Now, most facilities have several safety check protocols, such as a point and call or a two lock, two key system. This to bring awareness to what we are doing with our animals and doesn't allow us to become complacent or automatic in our actions. And this is the one downside to establishing habits. When our brain acts on autopilot, we don't think about our actions. And it's easy to just forget if we've locked the door or turned off the stove. And this is why mindfulness can be literally life-saving and why it's so important to become aware of our actions, good, bad, or indifferent. Another key component to your habit scorecard is to not judge yourself. Think of this as, as a behavioral ethogram on yourself. If you aren't familiar with ethograms, they are tools for behavior scientists to study animal behavior. The point of ethogram isn't to judge the animal for doing what they are doing. It's just to record it. Uh, James hit, really hits the nail on the head when he says this. As you create your habit scorecard, there is no need to change anything at first. The goal is to simply notice what is actually going on. Observe your thoughts and actions without judgment or internal criticism. Don't blame yourself for your faults. Don't praise yourself for your success. If you eat a chocolate bar every morning, acknowledge it, almost as if you're watching someone else. Oh, how interesting that they would do such a thing. If you binge eat, simply notice that you're eating more calories than you should. If you waste time online, notice that you're spending your life in a way that you do not want. So let's take those first steps towards awareness of our habits and then rock out the ways in which we can change for the better. And big idea number three is reinforcement doesn't have to be a burger or any food after the gym. Quote, we need to make our habits attractive because it is the expectation of a rewarding experience that motivates us to act in the first place. This is where a strategy known as temptation bundling comes into play. Temptation bundling works by linking an action you want to do with an action you need to do. You're more likely to find a behavior attractive if you get to do one of your favorite things at the same time. Welcome to the second law of behavior change, make it attractive. Now, this is a challenge I meet with almost every 
person I coach. When we start discussing ways to reinforce our healthy habits, my participants usually say something along the lines of, oh, you mean like having a burger or fill in the blank with your favorite food after my gym session or fill in the blank with your healthy habit. The short answer is no, that's not what we mean. And we have this very narrow idea of what reinforcement is. It can be anything that encourages our behavior or makes it more likely that we will continue repeat it or try it again. So what else can we use besides food? Well, according to James Clear, we can actually use other behaviors. Now he calls this temptation bundling. And more from Atomic Habits where James shares, quote, temptation bundling is one way to apply a psychology theory known as Premack's principle, named after the work of Professor David Premack. The principle states that more probable behaviors will reinforce less probable behaviors. In other words, even if you don't really want to process overdue work emails, you'll be more conditioned to do it if that means you get to do something you really want to do along the way. Now, if you were to write out this implementation formula, it's an if-then statement, it might look something like this. After I, current habit, then I will habit I need. Or, and number two, after I habit I need to accomplish, then I will habit I want to perform. Now, technically, the first example isn't positive reinforcement, but the gist is the same. Now, here's how I've used both of these implementation statements. I am a simple girl, and I love playing stupid games on my phone. I love watching mindless TV for hours, and yep, I love wasting time. However, I have lots of stuff to do. I have these are notables. I'm writing a book. I write blogs and articles. I have them to complete. And I also have several other new projects on the horizon. Most of the time I utilize the second formula. After I finish a big idea, my zoo notable, then I allow myself to play my game. But once in a while, I just can't brain enough to finish a coherent thought. I love procrastination, but it does not love me. So I put procrastination on cue. I allow myself to play games or watch videos for 10 minutes, but right after it's time to work, which is the first formula. After I habit I want to do, then I will habit I need to do. Surprisingly, this method works, especially when I'm feeling heavy resistance to get my work done. Now, both of these are examples of positive reinforcement training working in our daily lives. So my question for you is, how can it work for you? And is there something that you are procrastinating, dreading, or resisting getting finished? Can you pair with an activity that you really enjoy? What would that activity be? And can you start trying that today? Before we continue with our Zoo Notable, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors. I couldn't do these Notables without them. So we'll be right back after these messages. Big idea number four is energy saved is a habit earned. Quote, energy is precious and the brain is wired to conserve it whenever possible. It is human nature to follow the law of least effort, which states that when deciding between two similar options, people will naturally gravitate towards the option that requires the least amount of work. We are motivated to do what is easy. 
And every action requires a certain amount of energy. The more energy required, the less likely it is to occur. And if your goal is to do 100 push-ups a day, that's a lot of energy. And in the beginning, when you're motivated and excited, you can muster the strength to get started. But after a few days, such a massive effort feels exhausting. Meanwhile, sticking to the habit of doing one push-up per day requires almost no energy to get started. And the less energy a habit requires, the more likely it is to occur. All right, here we are with the third law of behavior change, make it easy. This is key, and most animal trainers completely understand this concept. When we are training a new behavior, we don't start off with the most complicated part of the process. We start ridiculously easy, taking a step toward the scale, just holding still at the station where their blood will be drawn, lifting a foot or flipper or paw just inches off of the floor. If it's easy, it's likely to stick. Now, this is actually true for all animals. It's how predators and prey and even foragers operate. Sharks don't go after the healthy, fast, strong prey. They are honing in around them, searching for the weaker, injured sea lions, the fish with a weak heartbeat, the scent of blood in the water, which is a surefire sign of a weaker, injured animal. This is also why farms sometimes struggle with wildlife. Elephants will raid a farm because all of their food is in one concentrated small area. They don't have to walk miles and miles and search for it. So the key to habit change is to simplify the steps towards your ideal behavior. Which are you more likely to adhere to for the rest of your life? One minute of meditation or 30 minutes every day? which is easier to stick to. As we learn from Superman by habit, see that as you notable, and part one of Atomic Habits, it's more important to show up than it is to do the habit perfectly. You can always increase your reps or increase your time or the amount that you want to accomplish. But if you skip, it's just easier to keep skipping, especially when you're trying to force yourself to do more than your brain wants to do. Besides doing the easiest step towards progress, we can also make it easy to choose our healthy habits by setting ourselves up for success. And this creates an easy path to just start the habit and get the behavior momentum going. James Clear gives us a couple examples. He says, there are many ways to prime your environment so it's ready for immediate use. If you want to exercise, set out your workout clothes, shoes, gym bag, and water bottle ahead of time. If you want to improve your diet, chop up a ton of fruits and vegetables on weekends and then pack them in containers so you have easy access to healthy, ready-to-eat options during the week. The central idea is to create an environment where doing the right thing is as easy as possible. Much of the battle of building better habits comes down to finding ways to reduce the friction associated with our good habits and then increase the friction associated with our bad ones. So we can also do the reverse of both of these to reduce our desire and ability to perform habits we want to break. We make it invisible, we make it out of reach, and just plain hard to get to. I personally can eat some ice cream if I want. I am a grown woman. But if it's in my house, it doesn't last long. So to fix this, I maintain my attitude that I can have the foods that I want, but I can't keep them in the house. So if I want ice cream or pizza or french fries, 
I have to go out and get it. Most of the time, I'm a lazy shark who just wants the easy option. And lucky for me, those options are typically fresh veggies, occasional fruit, and whole foods that I have to fix at home, which might be inconvenient for most people, but it's more convenient than going to the place to get French fries or ice cream. Who wants to leave the freaking house when I've got food and better food to boot right in front of me? Now, is there any way you can emulate your inner shark and allow yourself to be lazy and make your habits easy? Let's redesign our lives so the behaviors that are most important are the ones that are easiest to do. And finally, we have big idea number five, how to turn instant gratification to your advantage or bridging the gap between effort and success. Quote, the vital thing in getting a habit to stick is to feel successful, even if it's in a small way. The feeling of success is a signal that your habit paid off and that the work was worth the effort. In a perfect world, the reward for a good habit is the habit itself. In the real world, good habits tend to feel worthwhile only after they have provided you with something. And what we're really talking about here when we're discussing immediate rewards is the ending of a behavior. You want the ending of your habit to be satisfying. Similar to other animals on the African savanna, our ancestors spent their days responding to grave threats, securing their next meal and taking shelter from a storm. It made sense to place a high value on instant gratification. The distant future was less of a concern. And after thousands of generations uh, in an immediate return environment, our brain evolved to prefer quick payoffs to long-term ones. Why would someone smoke if they knew it increases the risk of lung cancer? Why would someone overeat when they know it increases their risk of obesity? And once you understand how the brain prioritizes rewards, the answer becomes clear. The consequences of bad habits are delayed while the rewards are immediate. Smoking might kill you in 10 years, but it reduces stress and eases your cravings now. Overeating is harmful in the long run, but appetizing in the moment. Okay, so what we're talking about here is immediate versus delayed reinforcement, which is a challenge for every animal trainer, but one that the training industry has resolved with a simple and effective solution. So scenario, how do you tell a dolphin who is jumping in the middle of the pool, they did a great job at the height of their jump. If you think it's give them a fish, let's examine that. When is the dolphin getting the fish? At the exact moment of their jump or they getting it when they come back to the side of the pool or even when they enter the water. So what are we actually reinforcing when the dolphin gets the fish after the behavior? Certainly not the jump. We need to bridge the gap between the behavior we want and the time it takes us to reinforce that behavior. We need to let the dolphin know, and thus, because we are using the same methods on ourselves, us, that at this precise moment, your behavior earned a reward. So that when they come back to the side of the pool, they will know that the fish is for the jump and not for swimming back. And so that's what we created, a bridge. Some dog or even cat trainers and some zookeepers use a device called a clicker. Guess why we call it that? We hold it in our hands and we click the animal at the exact moment they are doing what we want. So there isn't this delay in letting the animal know they did a good job. Now, can we click or at least bridge ourselves? The answer is 
Yes. Now, there is actually a program called Tag Teaching that teaches humans using clickers. And I'll put a link in the description if you're interested in learning more. This might work for certain athletes to catch them at that exact moment that they do a move correctly. But personally, I think it's a little too on the nose in transitioning from animal training to training healthy habits. Now, I use the celebration method. It makes the reinforcement immediate and intense. And I can do it as soon as I complete my healthy habit. This includes a power fist in the air or exclaiming, woohoo, I'm awesome, or my personal favorite, that's like me. Now, why is that my favorite? Because saying that's like me ties the habit to my identity. It leads to intrinsic rewards, the good feeling and empowerment quicker than the external rewards like food. And James Clear agrees. He says, eventually, as intrinsic rewards like a better mood, more energy and reduced stress kick in, you'll become less concerned with chasing the secondary reward. The identity itself becomes the reinforcer. You do it because it's who you are and it feels good to be you. The more habit becomes part of your life, the less you need outside encouragement to follow through. Incentives can start a habit. Identity sustains a habit. So let's win against the pull of immediate gratification by bridging the gap between your effort and success and reinforce your way to victory with a healthier, happier you. All right, so those are my thoughts from this truly groundbreaking and life-changing book, Atomic Habits. I still wish I had written this years ago, but I'm not going to compare my chapter one to James Clear's chapter 20. It is a powerful book. And if any of these ideas resonated with you, I highly recommend you check the book out yourself. It is available everywhere. So visit your local library, download the audiobook, or support your local bookstore. I'm going to close this out with a couple great quotes from Atomic Habits. These are all from James Clear. He says, this is a continuous process. There is no finish line. Love that. We are never exonerated. James tells us rewards are the end goal of every habit. The cue is about noticing the reward. Craving is about wanting the reward. The response is about obtaining the reward. We chase rewards because they serve two purposes. One, they satisfy us and two, they teach us. He also says, one of the most common questions I hear is, how long does it take to build a new habit? But what people really should be asking is, how many does it take to form a new habit? That is, how many repetitions are required to make a habit automatic? The cardinal rule of behavior change, what is immediately rewarded is repeated, and what is immediately punished is avoided. He says, if an experience is not satisfying, we have little reason to repeat it. And James Clear closes the book in the most apt way. He says, that's the power of atomic habits, tiny changes, remarkable results. 